Amen. Thank you, Clifford. Well, if you do have your Bible, please turn with me to Daniel 12. We started our series in this book back in September last year, and I really do hope that it has been as encouraging and helpful for you as it has been for me personally. Back in September, we started the series with these words from Romans 15.4. The Apostle Paul writes of the Old Testament scriptures and he says, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction so that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. The whole book of Daniel has been a book instructing us, encouraging us, and giving us hope. But if ever there was a closing chapter in a book of the Bible that was given to encourage us to endure and to fill us with hope, it is this one that we come to this morning, Daniel chapter 12. And to get at the main message of this chapter, I want you to imagine the following with me. Imagine you're in a job that's really hard. Now, some of you might say, I don't have to imagine too hard uh, about that, but imagine you're in a job. It's really, really tough, really demanding, and you've just been told that you've got a really long shift ahead of you. You've been given 10 nights of 12-hour shifts all in a row without a break. Imagine you're at the start of that long series of nights. You're trudging through them. Work is complex, difficult and exhausting, but you just keep plodding on. But then you come to nights 9 and 10, and your colleagues all notice that there's something different about you. You're actually happy at work. You're like one of those dwarfs whistling while you work. And for those just starting there, long shift, they're a bit scundered by you. But you're happy. And I want to ask, what has made you happy in days, nights 9 and 10? What's gotten into you? You could imagine your colleagues asking you. Well, what has gotten into you? Well, here's what's gotten into you. The hope of the coming rest has started to pervade your daily toil. The hope of the coming rest has started to reach back and actually impact and shape the way you are at work. In a sense, that's what Daniel 12 is all about. This is a chapter where we are reminded, as God's people, of a coming rest. An eternal rest that will be better than anything we could ever imagine. And this reminder of coming rest is given to fill our hearts with hope now today, as we seek to be faithful in this broken world. Our world is experiencing what we could call a crisis of hope on many levels. And here is one way we can shine for the Lord in our families, around our friends, and with our colleagues at work. We can shine by being people of hope. And when I say people of hope, I don't mean people running around with a goofy, superficial smile on our face all the time. No, I mean people with a deep, tenacious, stable, rock-solid hope that can endure everything this world throws at us. That's what Daniel 12 is here to build into us. Over the past two weeks, we've established now that Daniel 10 to 12 is one big unified section bringing the book to a close. At the start of chapter 10, we saw that Daniel was really struggling to understand why things were so hard for God's people in the world. He prayed at the start of chapter 10 for understanding and insight, and the Lord gave it to him in one great final vision. Two weeks ago, we saw that chapter 10 was the introduction to the vision, all about the spiritual nature of the battle to remain faithful as God's people in a fallen world. Then last week, we saw that chapter 11 gives us the actual contents of the vision. 
There will be ongoing political instability. There will be ongoing trials. There will be ongoing opposition to kingdom progress in this world until the end of the age. That's what chapter 11 was all about, preparing us for that kind of challenge as we seek to be faithful. Now, in chapter 12, we come to the conclusion of this final vision. And what I'd like to do is work through chapter 12 as a whole and draw out from it three ingredients of a hope-filled life. Three key things that we can have, we can hold, because of the truths revealed in this chapter and the truths revealed in the book of Daniel as a whole. These three things are what make us people of hope in a fallen world. We want these three things, these three ingredients, to characterize our lives. And they can characterize our lives because of the truths revealed to us in chapter 12. Ingredient number one, security. We can have security in this shaken world, shaky world, because we know the end of the story. That's what we see in verses 1 to 4, and the lion's share of our time this morning will be spent here. As I said, chapter 11 spoke of the tribulations that would accompany life in a fallen world. And now, in chapter 12, verse 1, we hear of a climactic period of difficulty that would happen, that we should expect to happen, just before the coming of God's kingdom. Verse 1, at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. Now we've seen that the historical vision that Daniel had in chapter 11 is like a pattern that we should expect to see throughout history until Christ would return. There would be tribulation and challenges, as well as good and encouraging things. We should expect there also to be difficulties as Christians in the world. Jesus certainly taught the same in Mark chapter 13, and he also taught about a particular climactic end time period of tribulation just before he would return. In Mark 13, 19, Jesus said, In those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. Now we're told here at the start of chapter 12 that at that time, this figure, Michael, shall arise, who is referred to as the great prince who has charge of your people. Now, we have already met this Michael in Daniel chapter 10. He appears in other places in Scripture, like Jude verse 9, uh, the book of Revelation chapter 12, for example. We, we meet this warrior angel. In Daniel 10, we learn that behind the tribulations and difficulties of this world, there is an unseen spiritual battle going on unseen angelic beings, good angels and fallen angels, and those fallen angels are trying to hinder spiritual insight coming to God's people, trying to hinder the progress of God's kingdom in the world. But as well as these fallen angels that are trying to hinder God's kingdom progress in the world, we learned that there are these powerful warrior-like angels of God's kingdom, and one of them is named Michael. He stands along with his battalions of angels to guard and help the people of God. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, any time we get glimpses into the ministry of angels in the Bible, it is always given to encourage us as God's people. We're told again here in this day of tribulation that Michael will rise up and we're told that so that we'll be encouraged in the days of tribulation that lie ahead before each of us we have been promised help from the ministry of God's angels though we do not usually consciously experience it the reality of the guardian and helping work of angels is plainly affirmed in Scripture. 
Psalm 91, 11 and 12, for example, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You remember that powerful scene after the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness in Mark chapter 1, where we are told that angels came and attended to him, ministered to him. This is a reality. And we are told here in the days of tribulation that lie ahead for God's people, we will not be alone. We will have heaven's armies fighting for our good. We will be a helped people. That's why we're told about the ministry of Michael here in the beginning of verse 1. But as well as being a helped people in that day, we also learn that we will become a delivered people. Look at the second part of verse 1. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. So in the midst of this end time tribulation, at just the right moment, God will deliver everyone whose name is found written in the book. Now, in chapter 10, verse 21, this book was called the Book of Truth. Elsewhere in Scripture, it was referred to as the Book of Life in Revelation over and over again. And in Revelation 13, 8, it's called the Book of Life of the Lamb, that is Jesus, who was slain. Verse 2 tells us that this great deliverance at the coming of God's kingdom will come via resurrection. But notice, resurrection in itself is not the deliverance. For resurrection day is also division day. Verse 2, many, or that could be translated multitudes of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to everlasting shame and contempt. Here is the clearest passage in the Old Testament on the doctrine of a double resurrection. A resurrection of both the righteous and the ungodly at the end of this age. Sometimes there can be a misunderstanding in the church, that there will only be a resurrection of righteous people in the end, but that is not what Scripture teaches. Both the righteous Christians and the ungodly non-Christians who have already died at the return of Christ, they will all be raised. For the righteous, those whose names are in the book of life, it will be a resurrection to everlasting life. For the ungodly, non-Christians, it will be a resurrection to everlasting shame and contempt. And we know Jesus taught exactly the same in the Gospels. Here's Jesus, Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations... And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me. You cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. It couldn't be any clearer. So a word of warning. If you're here and you are not a Christian, If you die in that state, not trusting in Christ, you haven't had your sins washed away, you you die in your sin, 
You will be raised up when Christ returns and you will be raised to face a holy God who is infinitely angry at you because of your sin. Infinitely offended because of how you have dishonored his glory. He will judge you for your sinful rebellion against him. How you were warned over and over again, but you refused to heed the warning and you said, no, I want to be my own God. You will be raised, you will be judged, and you will face what is described here as everlasting shame and contempt in hell. Annihilation is not in view here. Everlasting shame and everlasting contempt. That is the reality facing those who die in their sins. I guess the question we have to ask if we're in that position is, is there any way to change that reality? And here is the answer of Scripture. Yes! You don't have to die in your sins. Because God the Father in love sent his son to pay for your sins so you don't have to pay for them. You can be set free from judgment and condemnation so that you will know only the pleasure of God. How can you be right with God instead of being wrong with God? How can you make sure you're on the right and not on the left at the end? Well, your name has to be in that book. Your name has to be in the book because it is whoever's names are in the book are raised to eternal life. If your name's not in the book, you are raised to everlasting contempt. End of story. How do you get your name in the book? Well, we're told so clearly in many places in Scripture, but one particularly clear place is Hebrews chapter 13, verses 22 and 24, where we're told simply this, we come to Jesus. We receive him by faith as our Savior, and our names will be written in heaven. That's the language of Hebrews 13, 22 to 24. You come to Jesus. You come to the church of those whose name are written in heaven. So, where will you be on that day? For those raised to life, look at what is said of them then in verse 3. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. Now, if you're here and you're a Christian, this is talking about you. And those who turn many to righteousness, like the stars, forever and ever. I've said these verses tell us that we'll be a helped people in that end day. We'll also be a delivered people, but more than that, we will be a glorified people. Those who have faithfully endured to the end as Christ's people will be glorified. That is made glorious, transformed, given new bodies that we're told in Philippians chapter 3 verse 21 will be like Christ's glorious resurrection body. As you feel the aches and the pains, as we as humanity suffer on with brokenness and cancer and dementia and the awfulness of grief and death, we are given this word of hope. One day all of that will fall away. And you will be renewed. And you will not just be some bodiless soul, like a bit of vapor floating around on clouds that are like marshmallows. No, you will be resurrected with a new, glorious, strong, not cursed, not broken, not fallen body so that you're given the capacity to behold the glory of God. So in all the tribulations of this world, here's the end of the story for God's people. 
Whatever happens in the future, whatever tribulations we face, we will be helped. We will be ultimately delivered. And we will be glorified. Or as verse 13 says, with the most beautiful four words, and you shall rest. After all the toil, all the night shifts, you will rest. So, this is told and revealed to Daniel and to us here so that we can have this ingredient of hope. Security, because we know the end of the story. Our security as Christians is not ultimately in politicians fixing things. Our security does not come from scientists figuring out how to prolong life indefinitely and improve the human condition. Our hope is nothing less than resurrection hope. Hope that one day God will break the clouds and enter and renovate, renew, and transform this broken world so that it's not broken anymore. That's our hope. And it is a sure and certain hope. So we can have security because we know the end of the story. And in verse 4 there, Daniel's told to shut up the words, seal the book until the time of the end. Many will run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Now it's hard to know exactly what he's getting at there, but it seems that this revelation is to be sealed up. And what do you have in the book of Revelation when Christ returns and he's about to Bring about all of God's purposes for the end. You have him opening the seals of a book. The book that Daniel's sealing here is the book that Christ unseals to bring about all the purposes of God for the redeemed at the end. We could say a lot more about that, but what I want us to see here is that this ingredient of our hope is security because we know the end of the story and we are to exemplify this in the world. We'll come to how to do that right at the end. But for now, let's look at the second ingredient of hope that we can have. And the second ingredient is in verses 5 to 7, and it is certainty. It's like the first, but it's slightly different. We can have security because we know the end. We can have certainty because we know now that all of our times are in God's hands. In verse 5, Daniel now sees two other angels standing on different sides of the stream where he's had this vision. In verse 6, one of them asks the man clothed in linen, who we met in chapter 10, who was above the waters, how long shall it be to the end of these wonders? Then in perhaps one of the most solemn moments in the whole book of Daniel, we read in verse 7, and I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. Now, two things to observe here. First, this, as I said, is the same man of linen that we met in chapter 10. The true commander of heaven's armies, a glimpse of the pre-incarnate Christ. Notice how we're told twice in verses 5 and 6 that this Christ figure, this Christ, this pre-incarnate Christ is standing above the waters. Now in apocalyptic books like Daniel, like Revelation, Waters represent chaos and tribulation. And here you have an angel on one bank and an angel on the other. And then above this, this stream or this, this body of water is this holy one. He's above the waters. We're told it twice. We're to, we're to get that. With utter seriousness and total sovereignty... This one raises both hands to heaven and swears an oath 
that these tribulations will go on for a limited time set by God. Just when it looks like evil has won the day, the Lord will bring all evil and rebellion to a full and final end. And we are to see in this solemn oath certainty that our times, our tribulations, our ups and our downs are all ordered and limited by our sovereign God. In Psalm 31, 15, the psalmist prayed, my times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and my persecutors. In the face of tribulation and difficulty, the psalmist found great hope saying, my times are in your hands. And I think this is one of the most hope-filled truth, truths for us as Christians, that we know that we are not in the hands of just random chance or impersonal fate. No, our times are in our sovereign God's hands. Where does our certainty come from in this world? Well, no matter how bad or broken things seem, because of the upheld hands of Christ, because of his solemn oath, we know for certain that the day is coming when all of those who are against the kingdom of God, all those who rebel against God, all fallenness, brokenness, and cursedness, it will all fully and finally be defeated. Christ has said to the waves of a fallen world, you may come this far and no further. Our times are in his hands. He has ordered our days and our trials. And know this for us who are particularly feeling our brokenness at the moment. There's a day coming when your pain and grief and loneliness will come to an end. It won't be forever. And the reason it won't be forever is because of Jesus and the hope that he brings because of his life, death, and resurrection. So the second ingredient that we can have in this fallen and broken world is certainty. Because Jesus gives us certainty because of his solemn covenant and oath that he will one day bring all fallenness to an end. It's limited by him. The third ingredient then we can have in this fallen world is, I don't know what else to call it, humble confidence. Because we know that our God is faithful. We can have security because we know the end of the story. We can have certainty because we know that our times are in God's hands. And we can have humble confidence because we know our God is faithful. And this is what we see in verses 8 to 12. It's kind of heartening, isn't it, to hear Daniel's words in verse 8 after all that we've seen over the past few chapters. What does he say there? I heard, but I did not understand. I'm telling you, I have felt like that in my study over the last few months. <laughs> Reading, and I'm like, I'm hearing, Lord, but I'm not understanding. Please give me light. Please help. Sunday's coming, like another wave. Just Sundays keep coming, keep coming, and I need insight and understanding, Lord. Well, I've been greatly heartened by Daniel saying, I heard, but I didn't understand. So he asks for more insight in verse 8. Lord, what will be the outcome of all these things? And look at what the Lord says to him in verse 9. Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. It's like the Lord saying, Daniel, what has been revealed is sufficient. What has been revealed is sufficient. But then we get this little closing summary from the Lord, in a sense given to remind Daniel of what has been revealed. Verse 10, there will be ongoing division between two groups, the wise and the wicked, Christians and non-Christians. Look at verse 10, many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, 
but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. We should expect in this world to see a group, the church, and a group who are not the church, Christians and non-Christians. Then, verse 11, there will be ongoing tribulation. That has certainly been a theme at the se- in the second half of this book. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Now, that's the language that we've seen for the tribulations and trials that God's people will face. It's not just a general set time, time, times, and half a time. It's specific down to the death. 1,290 days. That is the symbolic number given for essentially this church age. So there's going to be ongoing tribulation, but remember it's for a fixed period. Then, verse 12. There will be a people, however, who will make it through to the place of blessed rest. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. Now, the most notable characteristic of the second number, 1,335, is that it is a larger number than 1,290. Here's another way to say it. If you've made it today, 1,335, you've outlasted the tribulation of the 1,290 days. And I don't think we need to say much more than that. Verse 12 is saying, blessed is the one who makes it, who outlasts the pressure who makes it through this period of trial and tribulation without falling away from their faith. So that's a little summary given to Daniel. There's going to be ongoing division between the church and and those who are opposed to the church. There's going to be ongoing tribulation, but there's going to be a people who make it through. And when the time of tribulation is done, they'll be standing there on day 1,335. And they will enjoy rest. And look, that's exactly where God goes in the closing verse of the book. The closing word of the book is so beautiful. We get such a lovely, encouraging word to Daniel that is full of instruction and hope also for us. Look at this. But go your way till the end. And you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of death. There's two ends in this closing verse. Go your way to the end, Daniel. That means the end of your life. And you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end, at that resurrection day. Here's a closing word closing word to Daniel and closing words to us at the end of this study in the book of Daniel. It's here to help us live in light of the truths we've been considering. And let's remember the big message of the book of Daniel is that our God reigns. He is building his kingdom that will never end. And we are called to live in light of that truth. But here's the closing three words of practical application I want to give you from this very final verse. You want to know how to live as a person of hope in this world and to keep going until the end. Well, here are the three words from verse 13. Number one, make it your goal to be faithful. That's it. (laughs) Go your way to the end. That is just God saying in a very simple way, look, Daniel, you just keep being faithful right to the end, no matter what. You just keep being faithful. Whatever happens in this world and in our lives, our call is simple. Make faithfulness your goal. And this is the Lord's word to each of us this morning. Whatever stage we're at, whatever you're going through, whatever grief or heartache or uncertainties with your health you're going through or whatever tribulations and difficulties and fears you're facing, you just say, oh Lord, make me faithful. 
Keep me faithful. I find this so deeply encouraging. Wherever the Lord calls me to, whatever he calls me to do, I'm just to be faithful. Doesn't have to be flashy. Doesn't have to be full of charisma. Don't even need to worry too much first about fruitfulness. First, I'm called to be faithful. Now, we hope and trust that fruitfulness will follow faithfulness, but not always. Think of Job. We are called to be faithful at work, in our families, in your singleness, as a spouse, as a church member. You're called to be faithful to the Lord. By the way, just as a side, I hope you can now see how this book fits together. Have you realized it? So many people think Daniel chapters 1 to 6, loads of great narrative about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's the stuff we understand. But then just sort of hammered on to the end, just weird apocalyptic revelations that no one understands. No. I hope you can see now. Daniel 1 to 6, examples of exiles in a foreign place, Babylon, called to be faithful, called to be courageous in the face of tribulation, called to keep going even when they're being threatened of being thrown into a lion's den or a fiery furnace. Men who are examples of faithfulness. And then what do you get in the the last six chapters? A calling to the people of God in all ages. When your tribulations come, when your trials are upon you, you're called to be faithful. You're called to stand whenever you're being threatened about being thrown into a fiery furnace. You're called to stand when you're being threatened with the lions. The book of Daniel is one whole. And why people stop at chapter 6, I get it, but I don't get it. It's the word of God. We would have missed so much if we decided to avoid chapter 7 to 12. Because it's a calling to us as the people of God over and over again. Look at what you saw in chapters 1 to 6. See that vision of chapter 7 where the Ancient of Days takes his seat on the throne and let that stand as the pivot around the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints. We all see the one who is enthroned sovereign and we will persevere to the end. So we're called to be faithful. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were faithful. Like Daniel was faithful but more than any, as Christ was faithful. And he said in Revelation 2.10, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful. The second little encouragement to close with in verse 13 then is know the hope of the rest to come. You shall rest. I don't know about you, but that does something for my soul. Back to that image of the person on the 10 long night shifts. They're trudging through, and then they remember my rest's coming. And the rest to come pervades the present moment. In Revelation 7, after speaking of those who've made it through the tribulation of this world, we read, For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let me encourage you. Your afflictions will not go on forever. Your pain and brokenness is limited because Christ has defeated brokenness. You will rest. If you are in Christ, you shall rest. And that rest will be glorious. Christ has defeated death and made it a path to rest. And those loved ones we miss who have gone ahead of us, they are now at rest. So know the hope of the rest to come. And when it's tough, don't throw in the towel. Keep going. But the third closing word of encouragement is simply this. Trust God to keep you 
and bring you home to the place he has prepared for you, just as he's promised. What is your greatest hope for making it through the trials and tribulations of this world? Let me tell you what it is not. It is not your ability to tough it out. Our greatest hope for making it to the end, to death or to the second coming of Christ, whatever comes first, our greatest hope for making it to the end is not in ourselves. It is found in the faithfulness of God. The God who has promised all his people, you shall stand in the place prepared for you. You shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. Not, you might stand, or I sort of hope you'll stand. No, you shall stand in your allotted place. Think of John 14. Jesus saying, I am going to prepare a place for you. An allotted place. A turf of land in heaven. Not floaty clouds, the, the land allotted to you. You will have an allotted place if you're in Christ at the end of days. And God has promised that he will see all his people through to that place in the end. Here will be the outcome, Daniel. What will be the outcome, he asks? Here will be the outcome. In the end, there will be a church standing when everything else has fallen away. Now, I came across a lovely story in a commentary, and I'll use this to close. It's the story of a big old dog in a place called St. Louis, Missouri, in America. The story in this newspaper that was uh, noted in the commentary, explained that there was a time in St. Louis when there were too many unwanted dogs in the local pound. Sorry, dog lovers, this will be a bit hard for you. They gathered all the stray dogs up in the local pound, and because there weren't enough people to take them, they had to take them to the city gas chamber to euthanize them. Among these dogs that were gathered up, there was one boisterous, dopey, little Basenji mixed dog, who was a year old. His name was Quentin. And the dogs were gathered together into the death chamber. The gas was switched on, and Monday morning comes, and the death chamber's doors were thrown open. And among the scene of death, who stood with his tail wagging and tongue out? Quentin. He lived on. The animal control guys didn't have the heart to slam the door shut and try again, so Quentin got to stand and live. Why do I tell you that story in closing? Well, the world can throw its absolute worst at us as the church, but in the end, the church of Jesus Christ will stand Quentin-like, smiling, blessed, at rest, able to live on. Why? Because Jesus Christ died, not just to make us savable, but to secure the full salvation of every one of his people whose names are written in his book of life, written before the foundation of the world. Jesus came through the death chamber, and now he stands as our invincible Savior with an indestructible life, and because he has gone through death and because he lives, we can live. We don't have to fear death. We can go through death shielded in the tunnel that is Christ 
And he has promised his people eternal life. John 10, 28, I give them eternal life. They'll never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. John 6, 39, this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. The book of Daniel gives us many encouragements, but perhaps this 13th verse is the greatest of all. Go your way to the end. Be faithful. You shall rest, and you shall stand in your allotted place at the end of death. Those are the three ingredients of our hope. Ingredients of security, certainty, and humble confidence, because our hope ultimately is not in ourselves, but it is in the faithfulness of a God who has said, I will lose none of those who are mine. So be faithful. Rest is ahead. You belong to a kingdom that can never be shaken. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and for the hope that we feel that is steadfast and sure, a hope characterized by security because we know the end of the story, a hope that is characterized by certainty because you have promised to limit our trials, and a hope that is characterized by humble confidence, humility because, Lord, we know that ultimately Left to ourselves, we're prone to wander, and we will wander. But Lord, you've promised that you will not turn away from us. You've promised to keep doing good to us and to plant us in the promised rest with all your heart and all your soul. And so, Father, we can go through this world and see its brokenness, see the instability sense the insecurity that can come from the instability, and then, Lord, we can just remember the rest to come. And that coming rest can pervade our today and fill us with hope so that we can be people of hope just where you've placed us. And then people seeing the difference in us will say, what has gotten into you? And we will be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in us. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning and they don't have that hope, that hope that is found in Christ alone, I pray that just now, by your Spirit, you would say, let there be light, and that they would come to the one who has invited them, saying, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. If we're Christians and we've been struggling recently, may we also hear that word from Christ, come to me and find your rest. And I pray, Lord, that as we sing of the hope that we have in Christ alone, that you would again just cause us together to go out with hope burning in our hearts, not superficial hope with just a fake smile on our faces, but a deep, tenacious hope, knowing that we will be sustained no matter what by our sovereign God. We thank you for this hope in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's respond by standing together to sing of that hope that is found in Christ alone.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the